building a strategic prayer life. And I'm really trusting the Holy Spirit that in all of our lives, He will give us wisdom. That all of us will walk away from this series with wisdom in terms of implementing prayer in our daily life. Because all of us have read a book on prayer. We've heard a series, we've heard a teaching on prayer. We've heard someone preach about prayer. But hearing it or reading it and implementing it in our lives on a day-to-day basis is something else, isn't it? I had a friend phone me during the course of the week, and she's not in this church, by the way, Um, but she said to me, I just want to ask you, how do you pray? When do you fit it in? Because how many of you moms know, working moms, that it's not easy. It's just not easy. It's not easy to find that slot every single day at the same time and get a routine. It's not easy. You have to be very intentional. And if it's anything like my life, every day is different. And I've got to be flexible. I've got to be, what's what's that uh, incredible? Uh, Flexi girl. I've got to be flexi girl. What? Elastical. There we go. Elastical. <laughs> okay. I've got to be flexible each day to fit it in. And we need wisdom to be able to um, pray and build a strategic prayer life in our busy uh, schedule. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer before I say anything else. Holy Spirit, we bring ourselves before you this morning and we really ask that you would drop your God ideas into our hearts, that you, Holy Spirit, the teacher, would come and teach us. You would help us to hear what you are saying to each and every one of us this morning. We want to hear from you. You're the one who leads us and guides us in prayer. You're the spirit of wisdom. You're the spirit of grace and supplication. And we invite you to come and have your way. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Would you ignite faith? Would you stir our hearts for prayer? Would you stir our hearts with the things that stir your heart, Lord? Help us to take to go to a new level in our prayer lives, we pray. In our lives of prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin with a couple of quotes, which I hope our dear friend, Miss M, has got on the, on the overhead, so you can read along as I read them. This is what an Archbishop of Constantinople and an early church father wrote about prayer. He said, Prayer is an all-efficient panoply. A panoply is just a suit of armor. It's a protective covering. It's a full ceremonial attire. It's special dress or equipment. So prayer is an all-efficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by the clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions. It has hushed anarchy to rest. It has extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Isn't that powerful? That is the power of prayer. And these instances were taken from Scripture. If you go and you read in Scripture, all of these examples were actually taken from Scripture. Okay? Ravi Zacharias, who many of you know I enjoy reading, I enjoy listening to, he says, In all of its expressions, whether halting and short, or flowing in beautiful, well-structured phrases, prayer is simply a conversation with God. Isn't that beautiful? For those of you who think, I don't know how to pray, pray, can you talk? If you're a lady, you can pray. Come on, ladies. 
We can all talk. We can express. If you can talk, you can pray. Prayer is simply a conversation with God. If we turn prayer into a monologue or use it as a way to showcase our gift with words or as a venue for informing or instructing others who may be listening, we defeat the purpose of prayer. How many of you have done that or heard someone doing that when they're praying but they're actually preaching? <laughs> okay, prayer is not about this, it's about this. Okay. The Bible makes it clear that prayer is intended as the line of connection from the heart of the praying person directly to the heart of God. It's from my heart to God's heart. Yes, it includes the mind, but there has to come from my heart. That's why the Bible says that the effective prayer, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's connecting with the heart of God. Amen. Okay, so you may say to me, what is prayer? And I'll say, well, I'm glad you asked the question. What is prayer? <laughs> prayer is intimate communion with God. It's a two-way relationship in which we spend time talking with Him, communing with Him, and responding to Him. Talking with Him, communing with Him, and responding to Him. Prayer is at the heart of our relationship with God. We have access to our Father through it. It's not a religious routine. I just want to share something, because as I'm standing here teaching, I'm also open to being convicted by my own voice, and I have been convicted by a number of these things, and I'm sure I will continue to be convicted by these things. So I'm not standing here as someone who's arrived by any stretch of the word. I'm also convicted by these things, and I'm going to tell you a story. I walked into my office um, a couple of weeks ago, I think I've shared this with the band, and I sat down to pray, you know, and I was, my heart was in the right place, I was ready to pray, and a whole lot of things that I wanted to pray through, and literally, as I sat down on my chair, and I started to pray, the Holy Spirit just cut across my thoughts, and he said, can I speak this time, please? <laughs> Can I speak this time, please? What is that? That's the heart of God. He doesn't want prayer to be this monologue where I come, Lord, please, can you bless my family? Please, can you do this? Please, can you keep my children safe? Please, Yes, it entails that. But if I'm really connecting with the heart of God, it has to be a two-way relationship. If I just walked up to my husband every time, hi, my love, how was your day? I'm sure it was great. Okay, cool. You're in the car on the way home today. And I didn't take a breath. Do you think he would feel like we're connecting? Do you think he would feel like I'm building the relationship? So would you feel like that if Titi did that to you? So it's all the little, little, and then this and then this happened and then this happened. Okay, bye, I'm going to cook dinner. And he's like, can I talk? <laughs> and I think God feels like that with us sometimes. We come into a prayer meeting or we come into our time of prayer. And yes, we've got things that are God-given burdens and there are, th you know, things that he's put there. But it's nice if we can just pause for a little bit and hear what he's saying. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that just now hear what he's saying that phrase but we just pause and really wait on him a little bit so that we can respond to what he's actually saying and I know sometimes it happens as we're praying or we're praying in tongues he might show us a vision and so our mind is engaged in listening to him while we're praying yes I'm not saying that doesn't happen it does happen but it will be great if we can just pause a little bit and include that pause in our prayer in our time of prayer now, why I said I wanted to just um, talk about that phrase, hear what God is saying, is because when you're teaching people to hear God or when you're talking to people about hearing God, if I say to you, um, you have to listen to what God is saying, what do you immediately think of in terms of God's voice? That it's a voice in your head, it's a voice in your heart, it's a voice in your ear that you hear. Hey, But God doesn't always talk so that we hear Him. 
He doesn't always use audible sounds in our ears or thoughts in our mind. Okay, God speaks to us by so many different ways. He might drop a song in my heart and the song has a message for my day. He might bring a scripture to mind. He might bring a face. And I suddenly think of a person I haven't seen or thought of for five years and I don't know where the thought came from. Well, maybe God wants me to pray for that person. You know, God speaks in a whole host of ways and we have to begin to walk with the Holy Spirit more and more to understand how he's speaking so we can respond appropriately. I always say concerning the prophetic that there's a revelation that we get when God speaks to us. That's the revelation. Then there's the interpretation of the revelation. Then there's the application of the revelation. And the more we walk with God, the more we understand how he, what he's really saying, that's the interpretation, and how we to apply it. If I have a dream and my husband has a car accident, some people will literally think to themselves oh my husband's going to die in an accident because that's an interpretation hey okay but that's probably not what God is saying God is probably giving me that dream that's the revelation and the interpretation is the enemy's strategy against him because the enemy's the one who comes to steal kill and destroy the enemy's strategy against him is he wants to wipe him out whether in a car accident or some other way okay so what's the application I need to pray for his protection so the more and more we walk with God the more and more we understand oh this is a revelation from God oh this is probably God's heart is for me he's good this is probably what what he's saying and this is how he wants me to respond okay it's really important are you with me cool oh I like that thanks so the Holy Spirit communicates to us in a variety of ways and it's important that we school ourselves and come to a place of understanding the different ways that he speaks and I, about two years ago we did a course on hearing the voice of God and so if you haven't gone through that it's available I think Emily from the website if you want it you can speak to me we can give you those notes or that because he speaks to us in a whole host of ways that's outside um, my message today but it's important that we understand how he speaks to us so prayer prayer is spending time in conversation with him it's spending time communion in communion with him it's spending time listening in inverted commas and responding to what he's saying okay it involves availing ourselves to him and what he wants to do so when I come often when we come on ignite at ignite or we come to band we meet as a band at prayed half past seven or we come Tuesday nights I'll make a conscious effort to say Lord I lay down the things that I'm carrying I lay what ha I lay down what happened with my kids or my husband or at work or on the I lay it down because when I'm carrying so many burdens if you can imagine me with lots of burdens and suitcases piled onto me and I'm struggling under all my burdens. Do you think God is going to add another burden? No, he won't do that. I want to put down all my burdens and say, I'm placing that down at the foot of the cross for now, Lord, and I'm going to avail myself to you for whatever you're wanting to do. And then often we can hear him more clearly or we can perceive what he's saying more clearly and we open and available to God to give us his burdens. To share what's on his heart. How many of you have relationships with people and they never let you share what's on your heart? Does that relationship go deep? Do you want to share what's on your heart? If they never really ask you what, how you're doing, if they never really show interest, do you want to? You see, I think the challenge that we have in church is prayers become this religious activity where we reel off a whole list, a shopping list to God. We don't wait to hear what's on his heart and we don't ask him what's on his heart. Okay, how does he feel about all of the stuff that's happening on the campuses? What is he, how does he want us to pray? 
how does he feel about all of this stuff? Proverbs, in Proverbs, it talks about he, a king will share his secrets with someone that he trusts. The Lord shares his secrets when he trusts us. So as people of prayer, he needs to be able to trust us with his secrets, with his heart, with the things that he values. We can spend time engaging with him. When was the last time you asked him how he felt about something, about the nation? What are his plans for the campuses? What does he think about it? What is your role in prayer in it? When was the last time? I think many of us don't take the time to do that. Okay, so it involves all of those things. And God has an address. What's his address? I read this somewhere recently. I think it was in an E.M. Bounds book or something. God has an address and it's called praise. His address is praise. So sometimes we think, oh, I'm just not feeling God's presence and I'm supposed to be communing with him and praying, but he uh, just praise. His address is praise. The Bible says that he inhabits the praise of his people. It says that whether you feel it or whether you don't, he's there. You know, he said he'll never leave us. So begin to praise and can begin, we begin to commune with him. We begin to say, have a, try and have a sense of what he's saying. And it's not always, it's not only about what you're sensing or a song being dropped in your head or your heart. It's also the word because the word is his word. The word is his word and it's infallible. So we spend time in the scriptures hearing what he's saying. That's part of our relationship. It must be part of prayer. Now, in church, are you all with me? Okay, great. In church, we've kind of built these walls up, like my Bible reading is there, and my listening to sermons is there, and my prayer is there, and my praise and worship is there, and we've got all of these walls and these separate things, which is a very Greek way of seeing life, I think. The Hebrews are very holistic and can entertain all things together, if you know what I mean, a bit like a woman, I guess. But anyway, can entertain all things together. Now, when... When Jesus makes reference to his house, this is what he says in Matthew 21. He says, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of preaching. My house shall be called a house of compassion and outreach. My house will be a house of giving. What does it say? My house will be called a house of prayer. So now we've been going through all these family mission statements. So this is what Jesus says about his house. His house will be called a house of prayer. He says, but you've made it a den of thieves. His house, that word house, when Jesus says it, that word house, oikos in the Greek, it means a dwelling or a family and a family, a home, a household. So Jesus is saying, my family mission statement, my family, my household will be a house of? A house of prayer, okay? And that word prayer, pros UK, it comes from words, a different Greek word, and it means pray and worship. Pray and worship, the two go together. The two, you can't separate prayer here, worship there. It's all together. That's why I said to you this morning, let's sing Alpha and Omega. Let's sing it as our prayer because that's the type of thing that Jesus was talking about. And in that Matthew scripture, he's actually quoting from Isaiah, where Isaiah says, in Isaiah 56, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. So Jesus is quoting that. And even if you look in the Hebrew, that word house, do you know what it means? It means family. My family will be called a family of prayer. And that word prayer means intercession, supplication, by implication, a hymn, a prayer set to music. 
Isn't that amazing? So God's house, his family, will be called a household of prayer. Prayer as in worship and praise and tehillah and supplication and everything all mixed up together, which I love. Isn't that beautiful? So we can't separate it. So your family, one of the things can be, it needs to be a household of prayer because that's what Jesus is. Amen. Okay, so what is prayer? You understand what prayer is. And we're going to go more deeply into the different types of prayer at a later stage, like prayer of thanksgiving, supplication, intercession, all of that. But today, um, we're giving, you're getting an overview. Okay, so you've, we've looked at what is prayer. Number two, why is it necessary to pray? Have you ever heard someone, they say, well, why pray if God is sovereign anyway? Have you ever thought about that? If God is sovereign, why do I need to pray? He's going to do what he wants to do anyway, whatever time I spend in prayer. So I'm a busy lady. Why do I need to pray? It's a waste of my time. Have any of you thought like that or heard someone or thought it through that if someone says, why do I need to pray if God is sovereign? It's a valid question if God is completely sovereign. Hey, so let's go to the scriptures because that's where the answers are. Okay. And I'm wanting to start at B, M, for you. Um, in Genesis 1, verse 28, it says, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing. Have dominion over this earth. So what did God do? God came along. He created this beautiful earth, and he planted beautiful trees in the garden, and he saw that it was good, and then he said, Here, guys, look after it and rule over it. And he gave it to us there. He gave it to us. Okay. So that earth is there, and he stepped back. Now, I've used this example before. How many of you have bosses or leaders that delegate something to you? They say, please do this, and then you do it, and you give it to them, and or you do it, and then they come, and they interfere, and they change everything, and you're like... If you're going to ask me to do it, let me do it. But if you want to do it, then you do it. But don't waste my time. Have you ever experienced that? Yes. Okay. God is not like that boss. God, when he delegates, he's given it to us. So it's our problem when it's dirty outside and there's litter everywhere. It's our problem when there's pollution. It's our problem as the church because we sons and daughters and we need to take care of it. He's given it to us to look after. It's our problem when the, all of this stuff is happening on TUT campus and all the campuses. It's our problem because he's given the earth to us to have dominion over. We can't just put our blinkers on and say, well, I just go to church on Sunday and I just go home and I just go to work and my family's taken care of. No, that's not a biblical view of life. You can't say, well, church is confined to the four walls. My church is doing okay. My family and the four walls are doing okay. We're okay, Jack. No, you're not okay. You're not okay. It says in Jeremiah 29, Thus says the Lord God of Israel to all who have been carried away captive. Build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit, take wives, beget sons and daughters, take, and etc., etc., that you may be increased there, not diminished, and seek the peace of the city which I have called you to cause you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. So wherever you are, whether it's a good place of freedom or whether you feel like you're in a tight jacket and it's a, a place of captivity, God says, seek the peace of that place, pray for it, because in its prosperity you will have prosperity. And that word peace there means peace. Prosperity, health, 
okay? I'm welfare, to be well, to be whole, to be safe, to be at rest. So God says to us in his word, he says, wherever you are, whether you're a South African or you're not a South African, whether you are in the place that you want to be, whether you're not in the place that you want to be, if you are there now, pray for it. Listen, we're here in South Africa. Let's pray for this government because we're here. In its prosperity, we'll be prosperous. In its peace, we will be peace. We will be peaceful. Amen. In the schools, we can't just say, okay, well, the schools are not my problem. I'm going to take my kids out and we're going to live in, in this small little perfect bubble and I'm going to protect them from everything. No. We must pray for the education system. It'll affect our kids. It'll affect our grandchildren. It'll affect our leaders of the next generation of leaders. We have to say, God, you've given us this earth. Let's have that big mindset and I'm going to ask you for help, which is where prayer comes in. He's given it to us and we have to ask him for help because he's not going to just come and invade our world without us inviting him in because he's not that boss. Remember I was talking about that boss. He's not that boss. How many of you know you can be doing something and trying and trying and trying to do something it doesn't work and then suddenly you think, well, let me just pray and ask God and then you ask God and then it works and you're like, why didn't I just ask him at the start? Okay, sometimes God wants us to, to realize that he's, he trusts us with it, but we actually need his help. Okay, we actually need his help. So that's why we need to pray. He's given us this world, which we need to take dominion of, which we need to look after. But we need his help, don't we? We need his help. We need his wisdom. We need, to, we need him to empower us. We need him to teach us the way that we ought to go. Just with what is in my hand right now, I need his wisdom. My little world, I want to take dominion of it. I need wisdom to be a light in the group that I train with. I need wisdom to be a light at school, to know which mom to talk to when, to know what words to say when. You know, there's so many moms at school that are in very difficult situations to know who I can speak to, who I can touch. Whether they come to the church or whether they don't, it doesn't matter. God has something for them. And God might want to use me to touch them, to bless them. I'm bringing his kingdom. I need his wisdom in my household to run my household. In my, what is in my hand, I need his help. We need his help with my husband's work. In our place of influence, we need help. And then we need his help to know how to pray and how God wants to use us in the nation. To raise up people in the church who will be the next influences in society and make a difference. We need wisdom. What do you need wisdom for? What do you need to ask God for wisdom for? Because people are the answer. Christian people are the answer for the problems of the nation. We are the answer. But we're sitting on our hands and we're sitting back and many of us are comfortable and we don't know what to do. And that's fine. We cannot know what to do. But it's not okay to not ask God what to do. Because we have the answer in God. Amen. Okay, so that's why, one of the reasons why we need to pray, we've got to enforce the dominion mandate that God has given to us. That God has given to us. Where are the Josephs? Where are the Daniels? Where are all these people who operate in places of leadership and places of influence in the nation, in government? Where are they? Where is the next governor of the Reserve Bank? You know, where's, the, where's our next minister of education? Minister, you know, where are all these people? They, they must be great if they can come from the church and they have wisdom from God to turn the economy around because man, I don't think man can do it in his own wisdom. He can't. 
And even a good man, if he's not a Christian, and people are doing juju and all sorts of stuff, visiting Sangomas, there's so much stuff against him. How is he going to cope when he doesn't have the Spirit of God? He may have the best intention, but, you know, that's why we got to pray. Amen. Why is it necessary to pray? I think you understand that's important, to enforce the dominion mandate which God has given us. The second thing is to grow in knowledge of and in relationship with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord. I want to grow. One of the things that I, I think is my purpose is to know God and make Him known. I want to know Him more, and I want people to know Him more too. We have to grow in relationship with Him. Prayer is essential to a healthy and vibrant spiritual life because it's our only means of communing with the Lord. That's how we commune with Him. Through our fellowship with Him, we receive everything we need for life. Through our fellowship with Him. Love from our Father. Forgiveness from our Judge. Comfort from our Counselor. Instructions from our General. That's how we receive it. But some people can say, well, I don't know what to do next. Well, you know what? Just take the first step. God will steer a moving ship. He'll steer you. Just take the first step. Go with what you think is a good idea. Wise according to biblical principles and God will steer you. We get instructions from our general in prayer. That's where he'll steer you. Like you'll get a sense, mm, I don't feel peace about this or mm, I feel joy about this. Guidance from our advisor, teaching from our teacher, help from our helper, revelation from the Holy Spirit. We get it in prayer. We get it in our communing with the Lord. Strength to go on. I couldn't have done this weekend in my own strength. I couldn't have. There's so much going on. I'm being honest with you. But I feel so, I feel energized by the Holy Spirit. Isn't he so gracious? He's so gracious. He's so kind. He strengthens us when we need to be strengthened. And that comes from a place of connecting, of being in communion with him. And I just want to say that my life is very full. And so I pray a lot of times. I, I don't like to confine my prayer to just like an hour in the morning. But I want to be in constant. I put a, a, an audio Bible on in my car. I'm listening to it when I'm driving. I play it for my kids. Every opportunity I can, I take. When I'm walking, I've grown. I, I normally hate waiting, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. That's, I can work on my patience sometimes. I'm getting better. But I'm growing to like waiting for my kids because I sit and I pray in the Spirit. Pray, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to pray. Or I do something that I need to do. I read the Word. Because it's a time that's undisturbed in my car. We can make the most of the opportunities that we have. Because they are there. They are there. Um, Jesus had a very close relationship with the Father very close what do you think was the secret to his relationship it was prayer it was his prayer life and you know what the disciples saw this they walked with him and they saw this and they eventually came to him and they said lord teach us to pray they saw something they said teach us to pray if it was necessary for jesus who was the son of god who was anointed with the holy spirit without measure hello to spend time in prayer, do we think that we're too busy to pray? I, I've read it somewhere. It says, I'm too busy not to pray. I'm too busy not to pray. Jesus, this perfect son of God, anointed with the Holy Spirit without measure, needed to pray. I think I need to pray. I think I need to pray. He gave us the perfect example of communion with the Heavenly Father and demonstrated his absolute dependence 
on the Father. Beautiful. We're going to look more at Jesus' life in future, Jesus' prayer life and lifestyle of prayer in a future um, message. So we're looking at why we should pray. First thing is it's part of the dominion, to enforce the dominion mandate. This is not an order of priority, by the way. Force the dominion mandate, our intimacy with, uh, with God, getting to know him, which helps me with interpreting and applying what he's telling me. And then the third thing is that the Bible instructs us to do so. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he said, and, and if you pray, did he say that? And... And, and on the odd chance that you happen to pray, this is a good way to pray. Is that what he said? No, what did he say? And when you pray, pray like this. And when you pray, go into your room. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. In this manner, therefore, pray. He was instructing them. He said, pray. He didn't say, only if you feel like it, if and no. When you pray, pray like this. Pray is important, okay? Pray is important. Listen to Paul's instructions to the Romans. Romans 12, verse 10 to 13. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Paul knew this too. Paul in the Bible, not my husband. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. To the church in Thessalonica, this is what Paul says. Rejoice always. Pray sometimes. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Without ceasing. Have you ever thought about that? How do you pray without ceasing? I think we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues to pray without ceasing. I want to go to my next level of prayer. I want to pray more. You know, I was thinking about this weekend, I was thinking about stuff um, uh, uh, towards the end of the week, and I actually say, I, this, these were my words to the, Lord, to the Lord as I was driving. I was like, Holy Spirit, there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this. And I don't know exactly how I should pray for these things. Please, can you pray through me? And then I just began to pray in tongues. And as I was praying in other tongues, I began to get a sense of what I was praying and understand God's heart towards those situations. Pray without ceasing. The way we can pray without ceasing is using the gift of speaking in tongues. And if you aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, come and speak to us off the service. We can assist you with that. Okay, and the fourth reason, which is my last reason, and I'm hoping I'm going to have time, uh, maybe I'll just touch on, touch on these, is we have so many exemplary men and women of God that are in the Bible with inspiring results when they, that, that, that they were inspiring results when they prayed. And I've got four examples here that each illustrate a certain aspect that I think is really key in terms of building a strategic prayer life in our own lives. Um, each of these is, is really key. And I'm not going to have time for all of them. I'm just going to choose which one I'm going to do today and I'll roll over and do. Just go for it. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start with Moses. I'm going to start with Moses. And I'm going to start this by sharing a story of what happened during the week at the school. Um, I'd picked up the kids from uh, school at, at two. Something had happened and I wasn't going to, but then it just so happened that I picked, picked them up at two. And so I was driving out of the school, South Downs, um, and you know these schools, they have security gates, they have boom gates. And I 
for some reason I had my window down and Samuel was sitting next to me, my eldest son was sitting next to me in the front seat. I was driving slowly and I heard this hooter and it was hooting like, bah, like non-stop. And I looked and in front, just, just sort of between the circle that enters the boom gate and the boom gate. So just in between that, there was a white Toyota Fortuna and a red small Hyundai i10 or i20 that had blocked it off. And initially I thought, oh, it's an accident because the red car, the vehicle's doors were open and there was no one in the red car. And so I see this and I'm slowing down, I'm looking, I'm like, oh. And then the next thing I hear, there's a, a security guard at the school, outstanding, and his, I won't say what his name is, but he's outstanding. He was running next to me. I'm, so I'm busy looking at this like, what? Is that, is that an accident? Like, what is happening? And he runs past the car. He's like, control, control, come in, control, attempted hijacking, control, control, come in, control, control, on his radio, like screaming into the radio, running like towards the red car. I don't know what he was going to do because the guys were armed. But anyway, <laughs> he was running towards the car. And this guy, I think they realized what was happening because then all the security guards started running towards this red vehicle. And these three um, young guys ran around, jumped in their car and sped off really fast. And I'm there thinking, I wish I could do something. So I'm like, let me get the registration number. So I got the registration number. I wasn't going to go anywhere with my three boys. But you know that feeling of, I wish I could just do something. These guys are, you know, doing bad stuff. Anyway, so I then turned around. I went back and I gave them the, the, the number. And basically, when I spoke to the driver of the white Fortuna, they were trying to hijack. They got, the guys came with a gun. And they tried to make it. They tried to get her out of her vehicle. And... Um, she was she was traumatized and anyway that's a whole whole another story but as i was reflecting on that i was thinking what would have happened if the security guard wasn't on his post what would have happened if he wasn't positioned aright because I think that that red car sped off because he was running, he was calling on the, the radio, he was saying, control, control, come in. And the guys, obviously they came in at a certain point and then all the security guards started running out. But if he hadn't been there, maybe they would have shot that woman because she was so traumatized. She said, she said I couldn't open the door. I couldn't open, it was locked. I couldn't open the door. I just, I just, and she was crying. I didn't want to be shot and I couldn't open the door. And she kept rehearsing that and I thought, but you were in the car. But she was shocked. You know, so what would have happened if the security guard wasn't at his post or if he was at his post, but he wasn't watching? And I was reflecting on that and I thought, sure, Lord, in the church, how many of us is he calling to be watchmen and security guards? And we like that title and it's a romantic title and we've got the guns and we've got the weapons and we've got everything and we've got the radio and we've got the control room and we've got the backup of heaven, but we're not watching. Or what happens if something happens and we're just like, oh, mm, mm. you know, how, many, how, much, how much of that is happening? We need to be positioned right. And that's what happened this week. I'm not going to talk about... Moses um, from, let me just see the scripture reference, Exodus 14, verse 1 to 31. I'm going to read some of it. I'm going to paraphrase some of it. But we pick up the story where Moses, you know, the, in, in, the interchange between Moses and Pharaoh, and finally Pharaoh has agreed to release the Israelites to go into the desert and spend three days worshiping their God. And the Lord says to Moses, so that in itself says something, the Lord spoke to Moses, and Moses wrote this, so Moses must have been rightly positioned to hear God. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So, so the Lord is giving Moses his battle plan. The Lord is saying, Moses, this is what I'm going to do, and this is why I'm going to do it. Okay, that's fine. Moses says, okay, cool. He did so. It says, and he did so. So he had obedience and he had faith. Because what was about to happen needed faith. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people and Pharaoh basically made his chariots ready, took 600 choice chariots and off they went to pursue the children of Israel. So now remember Moses has heard from God, this is the battle plan, okay, this is what you're going to do, tell the people this is what you're going to do and they did so. So the people went with Moses, so they're like, okay, cool, it's a good plan. Okay, I feel sorry for Moses, by the way, but anyway. Okay, cool, it's a good plan. So the Egyptians pursued them, and then when they were camping beside uh, Pi Hayroth before Zal, uh, Baal Zephon, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were afraid. You know, as a leader, sometimes you say, okay, guys, this is where we're going, and people are like, yeah, sure, and then they start, and then they start looking with their natural eyes, and they're like, uh, I don't think so. That's why I feel sorry for Moses, because he's like, guys, this is what the Lord has said, and they're like, okay, cool, and then they see with their eyes, and then they're afraid, but for all of us, what are, what are we looking at, and what are our eyes fixed on? Because God speaks a word to us, like he spoke to Moses, we can start off with a place of, in a place of faith, we can start off in a place of obedience, and in a place of prayer, and then we come out of that place of prayer and communion with God, and then we see with our eyes, and then we become afraid. And then we want to turn back to what is solid ground. Amen. What are you looking at? What are your eyes fixed on? And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, there were no graves in Egypt. Why have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? How quickly they forgot the battle plan that God had given them. Okay. Why have you brought us here? Leave us alone so we can serve the Egyptians. They wanted to go back to Egypt. We don't want to die in the wilderness. Poor old Moses, he had to constantly renew his mind, not to listen to the people that he was leading, but to listen to God. And that's a, that's, that's a test as a leader, by the way. But for us as people, when you come from your place of prayer and God has spoken to you, how quickly do you forget what he spoke to you? Do you forget it really quickly or do you pursue it until you see it coming to fruition? And Moses says to the people, don't be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. How did he know that? How did he know that? That the Egyptians, yes, the Lord said he would be honored by Pharaoh and them, but the Lord hadn't, I don't see this in scripture before that. How did Moses know to say this to the children of Israel? That the Egyptians they see today, they will see again, no, see again no more. God must have told him. He must have been in a place of prayer. The people are saying what they're saying. He goes back to a place of prayer. Lord, what, are you, what is your plan? What are you, what are you 
constantly putting himself in a position where he's hearing God's voice and he's positioning himself in a place of obedience. And that's what I learned from this. That's what I learned from this Moses, such a leader. I mean, for the most part, okay, hearing God, this is what God is saying, leading the people even when they gripe and complain and they don't believe. When they don't believe, he's choosing not to hear what they're saying. He's choosing not to lead them based on what they're seeing according to their faith, but according to what God has seen, what God has said, what God has told them in, in, his, prayer, in his prayer room. And that's how we need to lead our families. And that's how we need to lead our children. And that's how we need to lead ourselves. Amen. Okay, and the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell that you must have gone back to complain to the Lord. You know, why do you cry to me? Tell these children of Israel to go forward and this is what I want you to do. He gave him another strategy. How did he get the strategy? How did he hear that he must have been a, he must have been a man of prayer? He must have been a man of prayer. Lift up your rod. God is saying, this is how I want you to position yourself. Stand here, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand and divide it. And the Israel and the your children of Israel will go through it and they'll go through on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians and, the, and Pharaoh and all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. And I will show that I am the Lord. So he's giving him a strategy. Okay. I love this. The Lord reminds Moses, helps Moses to reposition his heart. And the angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel moved and he separated the Egyptians from the Israelites and so on and so forth. And then he troubled the army of the Egyptians. I also like that. Wouldn't you like your enemies to be troubled? The Lord troubling your enemies. You don't have to do anything. Isn't that awesome? It says he troubled, the Lord troubled the army of the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, again, Moses hearing what the Lord is saying, stretch out your hand and the waters will come back upon the Egyptians. This is obviously once they've gone through, gone through the Red Sea. Moses acted in obedience. He was in a place of obedience and the sea covered the Egyptians. And you know the rest of the story. So Moses was positioned to receive instructions from his general. He positioned his heart so that he would obey no matter what. Okay. And I've got some maps and I just want to show you because I found this really, really fascinating. Have you got the maps? Can they go up, M? We read in the chapter before this that the Israelites actually had, I need, an, yeah, there we go. Can you show me the next one, please? Yes, there we go. So you can see the green Exodus route coming down from the top left um, down to the bottom. And then they started going all the way up. And you see at the top there, sort of in the middle on the right, it says Etham. That's where they were camped, Etham. You see that in the chapter before this chapter, they were actually at Etham when God said, I want you position yourselves between Pi, Harryroth, Harry facing Baal Zephon. So they actually had to come back down to do that. Now, in a natural mind, that is not a good thing to do because the Egyptians are, are, are based down Pharaoh's army camp. Can you see that? Can you see that as, a, as an army, as a strategist, that is like... Are you serious? Because all of this here on the left in the middle, Migdol, that's called, Migdol means watchtower. That's all hill country. It's high territory. Okay, they wouldn't have wanted to go through there. So by coming back down, that's why the Lord said, Pharaoh's going to say they've become, they've lost their mind. They've become confused in the wilderness. The wilderness has shut them in because they were basically, it would have looked like they're walking themselves into a nice trap. Can you see that? Okay. So sometimes when God tells us what to do, it doesn't look right to our natural mind. 
It doesn't make sense. The wisdom, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. So the Israelites, Moses led them back down. And if you look there, that little island which says Baal Zephon, that was basically the where a lot of it was the sort of headquarters of Baal worship. And can you imagine the Lord saying, I want you to come back down. So it's going to be like you are trapping yourselves. And I want you to face the center of Baal worship. Can you imagine how that must have seemed to them? It's like, really, Moses, is this what the Lord is saying to you? Are you sure you're not out of your mind? You know, and sometimes God asks us to do these things. But I love Moses' obedience when he came. First of all, he positioned himself in a place of prayer. Then he said, Lord, I will be obedient. It's your plan or the Egyptians. There was no second plan. I make second plans a lot. I've got three boys. I have to have another plan, plan A, plan B, plan C, and then flexibility after that. <laughs> okay. But I love Moses. Like, this is what we're going to do. It's God's way, or the Egyptians are going to just have, you know. And so I think for us in our lives, I really want God to bring us back to where our hearts are positioned aright, where we come to a place where we say, Lord, it's your word, it's your way, it's your principles, or nothing. You know, I'm, I am a bit of an all or nothing person. My husband will know that, and my husband knows that. And when God spoke to me about um, Paul and I getting married, I remember at that time it wasn't necessarily the most appealing choice because the family that I came from are not Christians, and we're in, we grew up in a place that was quite racist. And our family was very tightly knit. And I didn't want the repercussions of what would happen if I got together with someone of a darker persuasion skin. Uh, I didn't want to face the repercussions with my family because we come from a close family. It's hard. It's hard. And I remember when I heard God speak, he spoke in an audible voice and I couldn't deny it. And he confirmed with dreams and I submitted to my leaders. I did everything right before... I did everything right, okay? But I remember, <laughs> I remember coming to a place where I said, Lord, it's either you or it's not you. You're either God or you're not God. So if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it. If I'm not going to do it, well, then I'm not going to do it at all. But I'm not going to have one foot there and one foot there. What's the point? What's the point? And so I did it. I positioned myself with obedience and I said, okay, God, let's go for this. And we did it. And it was hard. So when the Lord said, when I'm talking about positioning ourselves, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm sure it was hard for them. It was very hard for me. Okay, very hard. I was excommunicated, etc., etc. It's a whole other story. But at the end of the day, you know what? God brought restoration. God did such a healing work in my family that he would never have done if I'd made my own plan. So I think in all of these things, it's so, so important that we understand, no, it might not be easy. No, it might be difficult. But at the end of the day, we have to come to a point where we say, it's either your word or it's not. It's either God's way of dating, to use that term, or the world's way. But choose. But choose. It's either God's way of business or not God's way of business. But choose. And know in your heart because you will be tempted. It's either God's way 
but make a decision. Do you know what I mean? Let's position ourselves and say, Lord, as a church, as a people, we want to position ourselves to say, what is your strategy for my marriage? What is your strategy for my family? What is your strategy concerning my business, my work? What is your strategy? Tell me, and my heart is I will obey. And if you think that you're not going to obey, get someone and, and make yourself accountable and say, I want to be accountable. This is what I think God has told me. Please help me. Walk with me. I want to be obedient. Because God will bless that, and God will come through for you. Amen.